What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Lessons in the Trenches podcast. Today, my guest sitting here with me is Dr. Jeff Thompson. How are we doing today? I'm great. That is phenomenal. So, Jeff has been the CEO of Gunderson Health System for 14 years, founding and being a chairman of two health focus committees, and also serving on the board of four other health committees. He's also an author of his book, Lead True, and has contributed and or written numerous other articles over the years. Now, Jeff, since you've been in school for 13 years, what's the most ridiculous fact you know? The most ridiculous fact I know is that the current economy of Russia is now smaller than half of the state of California. Really? And smaller than Canada. That doesn't make any sense because, of course, on the map, they take up half the world. Uh, but their economy has shrunk because of oil, gas, a variety of other things, the pandemic. <clears throat> and now it is smaller than half of California. That, that is crazy. That is a ridiculous fact. So, well, Jeff, how we love to do it on the podcast here is we love to ask, what is your biggest lesson in the trenches? I think uh, I have a lot of lessons because, yeah, I'm not so smart. So I uh, um, have a lot to learn. But one of the most impactful lessons that I learned was the reality that what you tolerate, you support. That, that if you tolerate, if you don't speak up, if you don't act, if you don't do things, then you're actually uh, a complicit supporter. Um, and, and, and people might not be willing to do that, but it, because it then comes with an obligation. Um, you have to act. So just sitting back and doing nothing um, is not consistent with that. But but in reality, that's how it is. If you're in a meeting, somebody behaves very terribly and and berates someone. If you if you don't intercede, if you don't make some intercession to change that, either immediately or immediately after, then you're actually just supporting it. And the understanding is that it's okay with you. And mm-hmm. and whether you're a frontline worker or the chairman of the board, um, these activities come up all the time. So a, a, a very interesting quote um, that I heard over the uh, weekend at a great uh, a great meeting, <clears throat> a servant leadership uh, meeting uh, based out of Milwaukee, was that Benjamin Franklin talked about death and taxes, that there are you have two certainties in life, death and taxes. Turns out at taxes. Everybody doesn't have taxes, really. It's death and choices. Uh, you have choices. Death and choices are certainty. You're going to have to make a choice because making, not making a choice is still a choice. I choose to stay out of that. I choose to this, but that still sets you in a certain group. It sets you on a certain pathway. So uh, the most certain things are death and choices. And how you make those choices not only affects you, it affects your family and your co-workers and your organization and your community and it's an ever-expanding ripple. Wow. So just from your experience, you have an experience of that firsthand that you'd love to share with us? Um, yeah, I think uh, I think there's many times where where you have to do that. One of my I, I, you mentioned the book. I did write a book. It has lots of stories of people, not just me, but many people who made good choices. <clears throat> and still found a way to be super successful. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the 
my next book is going to be three times thicker. It's going to be all my mistakes. And, and it has, you know, one of the things that I, that I didn't do as quickly that I would have liked is intercede in, in leadership issues that, um, for every organization now that I've worked with, that I've spoken with, that I've helped the leaders with, <clears throat> has a problem with leadership management, that people get promoted and you just hope they're going to be good or, or that you have leadership lessons, but, but the evaluations is flawed and, and the follow-up is not consistent. Poor leadership has a wide, broader than just the person's responsibility. You might have 20 people that you're responsible for. But the influence of a poor leader has a, a halo much bigger than that. And so managing poor leaders is so important. Um, if you don't manage a poor leader, then all your here's our goals and here's our purpose and here's our values and here's how we're going to, all that becomes suspect. So, so managing leaders is so important and managing both formal leaders, you have a title, you're a director, you're a supervisor of that, but managing the informal leaders, there's always informal leaders Absolutely. who can influence large groups of people and managing them to help them, guide them, build them so that they can can uh, participate in a you know thoughtful values based uh, approach that that makes such a difference oh i'm sure so i'm gonna backtrack a little bit here did you always grow up wanting to be a doctor or what was your <laughs> early childhood you think you'd be a police officer or yeah, what that looked like well i was weird as a kid in a lot of ways but that was one of them that i that i i never did i think of other things. I mean, it's not like I didn't think of hitting a grand slam to win, uh, win a baseball game, but I thought about it as a little league. Mm -hmm. When I was growing up, I was going to be a doctor. From really? Like third grade, second grade, my mom and dad have both said that's just what I said I was going to do. I was a pretty good student, and then after that, I was a pretty much another, and I was, you know, all the important things in high school, for example. I was tiny. I was, um, had bad acne. I was a mediocre athlete. I could play every sport, but I was mediocre. I had big, thick glasses. Oh, I got yeah. A's in all my classes. So I was really not popular. And unless you're in the library, then I could do your homework for you. But short of that, I, I just wasn't popular at all. And, and I had some very wonderful close friends. But but it was my pathway was always uh, do well in high school so I could do well in college so I could get into medical school. Oh. I mean, how on earth do you go from being a doctor to being the CEO of the entire hospital? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was. Um, <clears throat> I, th I think uh, it was it was somewhat uh, intentional on part of the organization, completely unintentional on my part. My part was I I came to Gunderson and, uh, and uh, then Lutheran Hospital that were separate, and as as a place to lacrosse to raise a family to take care of patients and teach. We had residents, we had students, and I, I love to teach, I love to take care of patients. And so I did that and I just threw myself into doing that and, and we have an old farmhouse in the country, lots to do, so we just did that. And, um, but my 
propensity as an intensive care pediatrician is to solve problems. Mm -hmm. And if things were going poorly for the staff or myself or the patients, my, my uh, drive is to make that better. So wow. I worked hard to make that better. And people noticed that I made that better and that better. And, and then, you know, leadership at that time to some levels were elected so that my peers elected me into uh, the board and then senior leaders of wow. of Gunderson. And then it became pretty clear that that was going to be a path that I was needed to be better at. So then I really worked hard to prepare myself for being a, a senior leader in a healthcare organization. I read the journals. I went to courses. I took, you know, two week intensive things at Harvard and the, wow. the, the business school, um, at Stanford and a variety of places that I would go to try and prepare myself and then eventually uh, became the CEO for 14 years. Wow. So it really seems like you, have, you had that entrepreneur spirit where you know, you're, a lot of people are just content with being a doctor and rightfully so because you've done so much work to get there, but you didn't stop there and you just kept going and wanted to keep improving. And Well, I think <clears throat> being being a, a doc uh, helped me a lot in in uh, leading an organization. Uh, there's a discipline in you know collecting good information, in in examining problems, in being perfectly aware that you're not perfect, that you are not perfect, your team's not perfect, the organization is not perfect, and we have to get better. We have to measure ourselves, and and I think one of the one of the critical themes is turning the face of an organization from internal saying, oh, we got to make these margins. We have to, you know, uh, get bigger than the competition. We have to do those things. We have to build a fancier building. Mm -hmm. And moving that out to um, outward facing, saying our job is to serve. Our job is to serve. Now, do we need to take care of our staff? Absolutely. And we're going to take care of them by setting goals that they're proud of, that we're going to deliver this to the community. We're going to deliver excellence in patient care. We're going to improve the well-being of the community. Um, we are going to <clears throat> lower the cost of care compared to what it was. All those things will improve the health and well-being of the community. So if you want to be a part of that, why don't you join our team? Wow. And then you find bright young people, bright mid and late career people who are willing to you know, pull on the oars and do that. So if you if you set set the targets outward facing and and have a value set that we're going to respect everybody and it's not to pick and choose not respect the people with the most degrees after their name everybody gets respect um, uh, everybody gets compassion um, everybody has to act with integrity it's not chairman of the board and CEO get a pass nobody gets a pass so you start setting that down and say here's how we're going to live here's where we're going to go. You want to join that? And and everybody doesn't want to join that because it's too hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's hard. And when people came to interview, I, I didn't say it's not an easy place to work. It's a great place to work. It's a fabulous place to work. That's the way I put that. It's very hard. No easy button because you got to live by these values. you got to aim for excellence. you got to compete with the best in the country. It's not just because the people down the road, you can say, <clears throat> well, my, my throat culture is a little cheaper than the guy down the road or my my outcomes from my surgery or whatever is a little better than the people down the road or the people in Western Wisconsin or the people in Wisconsin. You say, what is the best that can be done? And that's what we're going to go after. Wow. Um, 
And so, so you start gathering people that want to do that, and then you unleash them. So, so one of the, uh, you know, you know, my my daughter always thought it was funny that I would manage a billion dollar organization by movie uh, lines, but um, you know, things like the Pirates Code. I wasn't I wasn't about I wasn't about rules and regulations. I was really about just kind of guidelines, and then unleash people. Don't tell them exactly what to do. Because they'll come up with better than what I can think. So you give them the guidelines. Here's where we're going. Here's who we're serving. Um, we're going to take things like finances, facilities, growth. We're going to put them in the tools bucket. They're not the goals. They are never the goals. They are the tools that we accomplish our goals. The goals are more important. Now, do we have to have good finances? Absolutely. Do we have to have decent facilities? Yeah, I want my staff to work in great, safe places. But that's not the goal. The goal is who you serve and how you serve them. So you start working in that direction. So you give them broad guidelines and then let them let them go after it. You unleash them in, in the movie Troy. The, the king is saying, I don't know how to control Achilles. And, and the other king said, you don't. You unleash them. You um, unleash great talent. That is so good. Um, there's just so many different things that uh, you go about doing you just hear so many people that are money focused that are in a ceo or ownership position or they want to focus on anything else but you really just focus on a goal and you don't really focus on how to get there as much is what i'm hearing yeah well you you allow you allow other people to figure because you as the ceo can never figure out i mean the well while i was the ceo the breast center became the the first breast center in the country that was a center of excellence as judged by the breast centers. Wow. So beat out Stanford, beat out Hopkins, beat out Pittsburgh. Great, great breast centers. Um, why? Because our staff, not me, wasn't me. I mean, the staff, the, the, the docs, the nurses, the, the nurse practitioners, the statisticians, the, all those people developed an approach that measured, was disciplined, saying, geez, we're not, we measured and we're not as good as we thought we were here. And so, so they changed and they were got better and they got better, not for that recognition, but to serve the greater good of the public. And they did it so well, then they got national recognition for that. And we have multiple advanced care planning program, the environmental program, the variety of programs, um, the bariatric program, our, our, our the cost and effectiveness of our joint orthopedic program. I mean, there's many, many things that over time were as good as anybody in the country. And it was not the CEO. It was not the senior vice presidents. It was unleashing the power of the staff to do these great things. That is so good. Um, one thing I did want to touch on, uh, you've got so many rewards over your career just for Gunderson and so numerous. We would be here for about five more minutes if I didn't name them all. But how in the world do you go about recruiting and finding all these amazing people to work for your company? Yeah, so so that's um, that. <clears throat> that's very insightful because that's a big problem. It is a big problem. The big cities uh, often can pay more money, and and one the the clinician or the lead administrator or they or their spouse came from a big city or fell in love with a big city. Mm -hmm. So so we have to compete with that. Um, and that, that's a problem. But once you start getting some success, you can look at people in the face and say, <clears throat> we have others.
that have done as well as anybody in the country that have received national prominence that are on the American Board of Surgery, the American Board of Anesthesia, or, you know, have been to the White House or spoke at the climate talks in Paris, or, you know, we have people that do these things. And so it's not like you have to trade. It's one of the great keys of leadership that so many people will prime put answers to questions into either ors, and really it's an and. You can live in a gorgeous place like this, safe, thoughtful, wonderful for raising families, and have very high quality medical care that can compete with anybody in the country. You can do them uh, both. You can have good finances and serve the public. You can do them both. Conventional wisdom uh, sometimes isn't, now whatever your grandmother told you, I'm sure it's true, but other conventional wisdom, you have to be suspect. Our environmental programs, internationally known, uh, brought uh, uh, interest to Gunderson and the whole region. But it's because we rejected the conventional wisdom that you can only have environmental um, uh, sufficiency or good finances. It's an either or, and we said, no, it's an and, that we can lower the cost of care, we can decrease our pollution, and we can improve the, the local economy. And and we we did that. And But it's it starts with a fundamental approach that says, yeah, just all conventional wisdom isn't necessarily true. And just because it hasn't been done yet doesn't mean it can't be done. I love that mindset. Um, something I really want to come back and focus on, and I found this, and I quote, you're responsible for over 7,000 staff, hundreds of thousands of patients, and $1 billion community money for the government Gunderson Health System. How in the world did you manage to cater everyone's needs and receiving, again, numerous rewards for that effort? Yeah, well, um, well, you never hit everyone's needs. I mean, uh, while, while we were uh, doing all these things, uh, quality did get better and service did get better, and we got ranked from a very high cost to a low to medium cost organization. Um, we did many good things, but there were still children that went hungry in our region. There were still um, third graders that could not read when they finished third grade. There were old people that still fell. There were a lot of things about health that we weren't getting right. We still made mistakes that hurt people. And so we were a long ways, we were a long ways from perfect. Um, so what we did is we tried to measure very hard. We, we tried to uh, do more than one thing at a time. We, did, we didn't say, well, this year we're going to work on this or that. We, we said, we have so many great people. If this is where our deficiency is, then those people led by this person can work on that. And here's where we can work on that. The, the key is, is having a, a broad team of leaders that can then disperse that thoughtful, values-driven, purpose-driven afro- approach to a broader and broader uh, outcome. And then, and then we had some great partners a- around the region and in the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, because once you set out, here's where I'm going, here's how we're going to behave and get there. We, it, it was, it was fabulous. I mean, the, for a hundred years, the Lutheran hospital and St. Francis kind of battled with each other. And some of the administrators would be pretty nasty with each other. And the, 
the nuns were some of the greatest supporters wow. of our social problems, our, our, our approach to some of the social problems. They were fabulous partners. They are strong and smart and dedicated. And, and, and all that history was far less important to them than the well-being of the community. And so you, you start collecting amazing partners. You have people selecting your organization to come. They said, you'll never, <clears throat> you'll never get people to come, um, because we're too small and, and, and your focus has been, and yet we'd have people choose us over, you know, and they had a choice to go to Northwestern or Arizona state and they chose Gunderson because uh, that one happened to be because of the environmental program. Mm -hmm. Um, but people make those choices, um, based on who you are, how you're living and where you're going. And so you start collecting internal, the hearts and minds of internal people. So one of the, one of my very proud moments, of course, I retired and, and wrote this uh, book that you mentioned. <clears throat> and we had a book signing and many people from Gunderson came up to talk to me and some of them, you know, frontline staff and some of them, they, they don't really read leadership books very often. And they just said, you know, I read a lot of these books, but I, but I, but I want to read this one. And I'm, I'm very proud to be part of the organization they, they said, you know, you, you might not know this, but in 2008-9, you, we had a terrible economic downturn. Lots of people got fired in many places. Oh, you, wow. You never, you never promised we, we would not have layoffs, but you said you would do everything else first. And we saw wow. that you were doing it. There are no executive bonuses. I already eliminated that years ago, but there are no executive bonuses. There are no everything. We cut back on everything we could and not. Uh, cut back on just broad layoffs of staff. And they said, when you did that, we knew, we, we, we knew that you had our back. And so ever since then, nights, weekends, holidays, when nobody's watching, we've had your back. Um, so this was 2017. The economic downturn is 20, 2008 and nine. So for, for, for 10, 7, 8, 9 years, they've had this mindset. Here's an organization that has their backers, so they're going to do everything they can to make it work. You can't buy that. You can't give somebody a bonus or a turkey or a ham and expect them to behave like they on nights and weekends and holidays and when nobody's watching. It is, it is when a purpose-driven organization allows the talents of these amazing people that we have to come through that that's how you get broad performances competitive with anybody anywhere in in this little community on the uh, on, on the edge of Wisconsin I mean, we had you know it I mean lacrosse is 55,000 we only have 120,000 in the whole community. We get 25,000 people apply for jobs every year. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope it impacted your life just as much as mine did. Just want to let you know, we do have an Instagram called Lessons in the Trenches, just how it said, Lessons in the Trenches on Instagram, if you want to go check that out. We got pictures of all our guests on there, some awesome photos, and we'll be doing a lot more on there soon. So please go check that out if you haven't already. And thank you so much for watching.